Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Man, where does that voice come from? (laughs) It's beautiful. Thank you, Carly. Our reading this morning, friends, comes to us again from the Gospel according to Luke. The Gospel according to Luke, I have to tell you, is one of the most significant of the four canonical Gospels written around the end of the first century CE. Luke's Gospel provides us with a pivotal history of early Christianity. It is laced with various major theological themes related to salvation, liberation, restoration, and reconciliation, and how we as God's people respond to the gift of restoration. Now, I got to tell you, one theme that is often overlooked in Luke is food. It's all over the place. This past week, I counted no less than 10 instances between chapters 5 and 22 where Jesus is eating. He's eating. Scholar and Franciscan priest Robert Karras once explained, quote, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And we might conclude from that that meals matter. Meals are full of significance. Our life at the table, no matter how mundane, is sacramental, a means through which we encounter the mystery of the divine. In our selection today, we find Jesus fast approaching his execution. And here at the end, he sits down with his friends and he shares a meal with them. And in that moment, transforms it into a sacred and primary act of worship that endures to this day. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. For the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. Then they begin to ask one another, which one of them it could be who would do this? May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Let's sing this together. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind And love your neighbor as yourself Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind And love your neighbor as yourself Good morning, St. Andrew. I know I'm new and you don't know me, but I love popcorn, so thanks for leaving it up there. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, and, and today, well, please pray with me. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning. So, Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts that we have, however scattered they might be, be pleasing in your sight. Amen. In today's segment of this summer sermon series, I would like to explore being a table setter through the lens of neighboring. Neighboring not as an adjective meaning next to, yet neighboring as a verb. As Reverend Mark has said, my name is Dan Randall, and along with my wife Courtney and our family, we are missionaries with Global Ministries, the United Methodist Mission Agency. We're serving as mission advocates right now, which is a really cool job that we get. We serve in the Western jurisdiction. It's from Montana down to Arizona, all the way over to Alaska and Hawaii. And what we get to do is we get to connect local congregations and annual conferences with United Methodist missionaries and mission projects all around the world. Those who say, well, we're really passionate about clean water. Do you want to do that in Nepal? or in North Carolina, or in Latin America. Some people say, we'll do anything as long as it's in Central Africa. Great, there's agriculture, there's education, there's leadership development. So whatever congregations are passionate about, whatever individuals are passionate about, we get to connect you with our missionaries serving around the world. 
Some of you may have been in this congregation for, this might be your first time. It might, you might be here for a few weeks. Some people, though, get to worship in the same congregation for 20 years. But Courtney and I and our family, we have the opportunity to be in 20 congregations each year. We get to encounter Methodists. We get to encounter Christians. We get to see different ways of understanding God's word, God's love, and this table that we share together. And I've learned... I've I've learned a lot of things in traveling. As Reverend Mark has mentioned, the Camino, I've been on the Camino a few times, and you, you learn a lot on the Camino. You learn a lot serving in another country, another culture, and for me, I often learn by tripping up and making mistakes and learning how not to do things the next time. Um, but there's, there's some things that no matter where you are, they still exist. First, everyone needs to eat. And hunger exists everywhere in the world. Hunger is that emptiness that you can find wherever you go. And as we heard this morning, we find it right here in our backyard. Second, I've also encountered the reality that there is an emptiness even greater than hunger. And that's loneliness. And and loneliness is different than solitude. Solitude is what some people choose at times when they need to take a break or have a moment to themselves. But loneliness, unfortunately, people experiencing loneliness don't do it by choice. And I've also learned and experienced that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of God's love for all of creation, it transcends all cultures while remaining specific to individuals within each subculture. This means that God's love is for each of us. God's love is for me, and God's love is not just for you. God's love is for you and you. God's love is for you. God's love is for you. But what is this gospel? What is this good news of God's love in Jesus Christ? What does God's love for each of us mean? Well, I've I've heard it explained in many ways over the years and all the places I've been in. In one way is this. It's simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. You know, food that feeds the hunger that all people have to be loved. Food that feeds that hunger that we all long to be enough because of who we are, not because of how we perform or when we succeed greatly. The hunger not to be defined by our past failures. These hungers are filled by God's true love demonstrated in Jesus, a love that redeems our past and gives each of us a future, a love that allows the possibility of hope and healing for each of us. But I've also heard the good news of God's love explained in a different way by a colleague working with youth and young adults on the margins of society. He says it this way. Jesus came to us so that no one ever has to be alone, alone. You know, the gospel is God's love showing up through others, showing up through us in a real person, in a real presence so that no one ever has to experience loneliness by themselves. In today's passage, we encounter Jesus' table setting at the Last Supper. 
Many of you might have heard this story before. Many of you might have encountered this story or seen it before. So many images of the Last Supper exist. Iconic, modern, contemporary. I mean, most of us have probably seen Michelangelo, you know, in The Last Supper. I I wonder if you've ever seen the Lego version that's out there, right? (laughs) Or, Or the Simpsons, you know, like... And and I know that that might seem sacrilegious to some of us, and yet I bet Jesus would be in a bar loving people, leaving that seat open next to him for whomever might come their way. We were were on a road trip. We were in Southern California last week, and we stopped to get gas. It was 108 degrees out, and we go into the air conditioning of this Arizona gas station, and I turned around, and right there was a figurine of the Last Supper. It was, what I, I cropped the picture, you don't get to see the vaping things that were right next to it. But it was, it was interesting that, that everywhere you go, you seem to encounter the Lord's Supper, and there's always something different happening with the characters that in it. So, after seeing all these things, I wonder if it's odd to hear this scripture read And then here, well, may God add a blessing to this word as if there's something new we could learn because it might seem like old news. I wonder if when Reverend Jerry was reading it, some of you might have been tempted to tune out because you've heard it before. We wouldn't be alone. I mean, the disciples had celebrated Passover before. The disciples had shared meals with Jesus before. I wonder if they were actually open to the new meaning and significance that Jesus was going to add to this meal on this particular night. Jacopo Bassano, he's an Italian artist. He captures this situation well in one of my favorite Last Supper images of all. You can look that, that some are engaging in discussion on one side of the table there, right? Some are engaging behind Jesus. They're arguing about something. Some are on this side of the table engaging the discussion. And John, who's right next to Jesus, seems bored out of his mind, right? He's like, what is going on? And yet what's interesting is that no one, no one seems to be looking at Jesus. And yet Jesus is looking at us. Inviting us to consider again, what might this meal mean for us? In preparing for this sermon, a phrase caught me and stuck with me in in reading it afresh, and so I want to explore it a bit with you. Jesus said, I eagerly desire to share this meal with you. I've looked forward to sharing this meal with you. I so want to have this meal with you. Jesus really wanted to set that table for his friends. Do you remember a time when you eagerly awaited a meal with someone or a group of people? Maybe it was that first date and there was all the jitters and anxiety and what's going to happen. Maybe it was a reunion with a friend or a family you haven't seen for years and you're finally meeting up again? Or was it a first holiday celebration in a new home, in a new place? That's where my mind went right away, was holiday celebration. 
Like Thanksgiving, maybe because I like Thanksgiving. <laughs> or maybe Fourth of July. You know, I mean, thinking about the turkey and the mashed potatoes or something hot off the grill in potato salad. I, but I, I wonder if this story is, is more than just the food that Jesus was looking forward to. <laughs> I can't wait to try some of Mary's matzah this year. <laughs> Oh, that lamb with the bitter herbs. I'm just, no, I think more than just eating this food, Jesus was looking forward to the occasion and setting this table for these particular people. It was Passover. And after spending three years with these disciples, they had become friends. Jesus had built relationships. These were some of the most important people to him. And they were good. Well, some of them were bad. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and I wonder if some were even lonely. One thing that I love about this story is that Jesus still sets the table and shares a meal with them regardless of their interest level. Jesus says, hey guys, here's some new meaning. Here is new significance that I'm attaching to these things you already knew about. Hello, are you listening? Well, anyways, here's the cut, right? Jesus still sets a table for all, for those who seem to be paying attention, for those who were bored out of their gourd. And Jesus even sets a table for Judas, who he knows is going to betray him in a few short hours. Jesus still sets this table for all of them. As I thought about being a table setter and being a neighbor and neighboring, so many different images and thoughts came to mind. I wonder if during this sermon, of course, when Reverend Mark introduces it, we hear Mr. Rogers in our head, but I wonder if there's other images that come to mind for you when neighbor is spoken. What about good neighbor? What about bad neighbor? <laughs> What about the neighbor who's setting off the fireworks at 11 o'clock at night <laughs> on July 2nd? <laughs> you know, I, I thought of the cheesy, the iconic, the idealistic, the realistic. Good neighbors and bad neighbors. I mean, like the Cleavers, Eddie Haskell, Wally, the Beaver. Um, what about the State Farm ads and the State Farm agents, right? The Simpsons again and Ned Flanders. Howdy, neighbor. <laughs> What about Kramer bursting through that door on George or Jerry in Seinfeld? It seems though that gone are those days of asking for butter, asking for milk, or even ringing the doorbell without first texting your neighbor to tell them that you're coming over to ring the doorbell. I think of living in urban apartments where people don't always know the name of the person living down the hall. And even if they do, they might not greet them after they encounter them in the hallway outside of their quadruple dead-bolted door. But I also think of driving through the rural countryside where you're driving down the road and you get a wave. Sometimes it's a one finger, sometimes it's four fingers. You get a wave just because you're another human sharing that stretch of road. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes neighbors, 
there, there might be some that seem too nice. You wonder what's going on there. Some seem too private. You wonder what's happening there. Sometimes we have neighbors that are peculiar or odd, and, and sometimes we just have neighbors that are obnoxious. Last weekend, as I mentioned, we spent the weekend with a supporting congregation in Huntington Beach, California, and um, we were staying with our host family, and, and they had this, we, we, we were talking about their neighborhood, and the guy said, oh yeah, that neighbor over there, he came out into the street a few months ago yelling, wearing nothing but his birthday suit. And his wife chimed in, yeah, and the weird part about it was that he was waving a gun in the air. <laughs> Neighbors. You know, some people say that neighbors either love them or you hate them. But, but Jesus sums up the law with these two commandments. Love God and love neighbor as yourself. In God's kingdom, with neighbors, you either love them or you love them. But somewhere along the way, I think I conflated this idea of neighbor and neighboring with the people that I invite over for a meal, or the people with whom I stay in touch, or the people that I like, or the people that I really want to like me in return. In another part of Scripture, Jesus tells this story about what it means to be a neighbor. He defines neighbor as whomever we encounter, whether we know them or not, whether we like them or not, whether it's convenient or not to help them. And in this story, it turns out to be very inconvenient. See, neighboring is not only an adjective that means next to. Neighboring is a verb. It defines how we live in community. It influences the way that we live with one another. Neighboring as a verb is another way of defining what it means to be a table setter. Neighboring is being God's love in the world around us, even to those, even to those who might not act like us, might not think like us, might not believe like us, might not play the same sports as us, and they might not even vote like us. Neighboring and setting a table, it happens globally and it happens locally. It happens like we heard today about Colorado feeding kids next week, making 30,000 meals for people, setting a table for 30,000 kids or their families. That's amazing. But neighboring also happens every week during the school year when Cindy Click meets with youth before school at a cafe. Neighboring happens every week outside those doors between the 9 a.m. and the 10.30 a.m. service when Jim and Jim start making sandwiches and lunches. In, in fact, today, you can go out there and help them make these lunches for people who are hungry. And, and setting a table in neighboring is then driving downtown and meeting them to hand these out to our neighbors who are on the streets. Neighboring, it, it looks like Steve and Carol and Lois Jean going to Aurora to help resettle an Afghan family who's feeling lonely and isolated a million miles from their home. Neighboring, it, I think neighboring also looks like Allison and her Sunday school class here who are supporting 
missionaries. They're praying for them. They're giving finances, which is allowing those missionaries to set a table for others around the world. Neighboring, it happens right where you are. Wherever you are, no matter how young or old you are, you can neighbor and you can set a table. I mean, I think about being in the cafeteria at school or in college or your community where you live and and seeing that person who seems to be alone and saying, hey, there's a seat open here. I wonder if there's any college students home for the holiday or home for the summer. If any of you are parents and you have college kids home for the summer, um, I think there's some popcorn packets in the back. That might help you feed them. But if you're a college student, you can take this home with you. Yeah, you'll probably eat it now, but go get another one. And, and take this popcorn packet back to school with you. And at 11 o'clock at night or 1 in the morning, just pop a bag. And that, that person who lives in your dorm or in your apartment complex who always just seems to be alone, why? You could bring it to them. Or you could say, hey, you want to have some popcorn? That's weird. Yeah, but it's good. (laughs) You know, neighboring and being a table setter in God's kingdom, it opens up possibilities of conversation and community. Because these things, doing these things, demonstrates an alternative way of defining who we are, who is in and who is loved in our community. Because in God's reign, the kingdom is open to all and neighboring challenges us to think about how we live. Neighboring encourages us and inspires us to be God's presence to people across the street and around the world. I think of that one of the greatest sadnesses for me is being in a church or being in a religious community where people gather as individuals. They come to this table or they, they show up to a religious rite and they feel alone. Coming together as gathered individuals leaves people feeling disconnected and lonely, even if we live in the greatest town, even if we live in the greatest HOA or have the greatest neighborhood, or even if we belong to the best church in the world. But on the other hand, neighboring and setting a table for others looks like a gathered community which satiates our longing to be known authentically and still be loved and accepted and still be loving and still being God's presence to others. That's what a gathered community can look like. Good neighboring recognizes that setting a table, setting that table, it's not about us. Setting a table for others invites others to know about how God loves us and buoys our lives with grace. Both when we acknowledge that grace, we appreciate it, we give thanks to God for that grace. And even in those times when we have no clue that it's God's grace that's even holding us together at this moment. As a clergy couple and as missionaries, we are the new neighbor a lot. We, we, we and, and, and what we find, though, is as new people in these new places is that instead of being welcomed to the area by those who live around us, 
we often have to take the initiative to introduce ourselves and welcome ourselves to the neighborhood, which is awkward. It's awkward almost every time, especially after a microburst of hail, you know, hits your community and everyone thinks you're a contractor trying to get a bid for the house. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I didn't realize that, would, that you're the new neighbor. <laughs> it's awkward and it's weird when people close the door on you or they look at you sideways saying, wait, wait you, you want to give me a packet of popcorn? Yeah. I do, because it's good. And I thought you might like it. Yeah, that's awkward. But it's so cool. It's so cool when it happens. And by you taking that step, by you taking the initiative and risking awkwardness, you're actually helping encourage others to see that it's okay to be awkward. It's okay to be kind to those next to you. You know, when we neighbor well, we help our neighbors neighbor well. Attending events together doesn't necessarily change this, but utilizing events as opportunities like the popcorn thing, that's a really cool thing. You know, that can help transform communities. For example, if there's an event you can piggyback on, maybe there's a Super Bowl in which your favorite team, Broncos, are playing, right? Maybe, or Patriots if you're from New England, boo, right? Doesn't matter who your team is, come over for the game. Maybe there's something happening like 4th of July where you can say, hey, we're going to have the barbecue going. We're going to have a bucket of beverages. Bring something to throw on the grill or just come by to throw some bags of cornhole with us. More than break the ice, this creates an opportunity for neighboring. This creates an opportunity for strangers to become friends. If I'm honest, it might also be an opportunity for the jerk to still remain a jerk, and yet you can show love and kindness in a way that, you know, it's amazing how God can use those acts of kindness in the future, and we don't even know about it. You know, today's gospel passage reminds us that Jesus sets this table for good neighbors. Jesus sets this table for good neighbors. And Jesus sets this table for the meh neighbor. And Jesus sets this table for the bad neighbor. This table, it's, it's open and it's set for you when you feel like you're the greatest neighbor in the world. This table is set for you when, when you might not even know your neighbor. Jesus sets this table for you when you've ignored your neighbor or when you've even said something bad about your bad neighbor. The meal at this table, this bread, it gives us strength. It gives us strength to be that good neighbor, to be the good news to other, to let others know where they can find hope and healing. This table is set to remind us that 
that we can be that neighbor, that nobody ever has to feel alone, that, that we can experience those, those wearisome kids and those worrisome parents together. Neighboring in God's kingdom creates a community where all are cared for and welcomed and loved as we celebrate those new births, as we celebrate the graduations, as we celebrate the promotions, and as we are God's presence to people who are struggling with cancer, who've gone through divorce, who've just dealt with death, who are facing unemployment and hunger and loneliness. This table is a meal that feeds us and fills us Because it's at this table where we are told where we can find bread. And we receive that bread. At this table, we're reminded we never have to be alone, alone, because Jesus took this gift of grain and fruit of the vine. And we experience God as the table setter. We encounter God neighboring us and giving us strength and courage for neighboring those around us and for receiving inspiration to set a table that transforms our communities and our worlds. In closing, this meal means many things. But three of the things we learn about neighboring and being a table setter at this meal, at this table with Jesus are this. One, being a table setter only makes sense in the context of relationship and community. Being a good neighbor often requires awkward initiative to build relationships. Second, being a table setter means that we feed each other physically. It celebrates and mourns together. It shares foods and beverages or even balloons or a card at life's significant moments. And finally, being a table setter invites all, the good neighbor and the bad neighbor and the one feeling lonely in the crowd. Neighboring is a posture of your life. It doesn't depend upon the goodness or worthiness of the other. Rather, it's a posture that's upheld by God's grace and love for each of us. We are upheld by God's grace and love, the love that's for each of you. This is good news. Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.